Now, today's a, a special day um, for us, in particular, Reality Church London, because my friend uh, Gary is preaching his first sermon ever, which is very exciting. Uh, wait, where, there you are. I was looking over like, oh, no, you're not, you're not Gary. Um, Gary's not only uh, an incredible friend, but um, just someone who's been serving in our church for a long time now. He's been on staff with us um, for over uh, a year um, He's just served our church so wonderfully in counseling and care, been in pastoral training, um, just a wonderful person. And I I would just say this, um, I am forever grateful for the people who invested in me throughout the years. I was reflecting on the first time I was able to preach. And my father-in-law, I didn't tell you this, my father-in-law was like, I couldn't even listen to you. I was like, oh. (laughs) He came around in the end. Um, But I'm just so grateful for the people who the opportunities to, inv- to be invested in and trained and equipped. And I believe this is a value for Reality Church London. This is a value for, for Grace London because it's a value that Scripture tells us um, to involve ourselves in. We're investing in one another. And so today's an opportunity um, for, for Gary to preach his first sermon. And for those of you um, who know him, you've just seen him serve faithfully in the, the church. Um, but most importantly, we're going to hear the Word of God because it's not about the preacher of the Word It's about the preaching of the word. So if you could grab a Bible and open up to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and verse 27 to 31. The first five verses and the last five verses. And then I'm going to invite up Gary and he's going to come pray for us and minister to us. So as we approach this new year, we prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5 and 27 to 31. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk, and they will not be faint. This is the word of God. John, can we hear me? No? 
There we go. We are good to go. Um, I'm going to pray. Hopefully, uh, every sermon should start with a prayer, right? So, and it helps take the edge off a little bit. <laughs> Father, um, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to, to speak your words. I pray in the precious name of Jesus that you would minister to us today, that you would speak, that in the preparation that has gone into this message, that you would push away all of the, the pieces of me and, and, and I pray that your words would remain. I pray that we would be edified, we would be counseled by you, that you would speak to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So, uh, we're, we're looking at Isaiah 40 and the thing that I want to draw our attention to, first of all, is a little anecdote about a guy called Viktor Frankl. So he was a, a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist in the 1940s. And um, he found himself in concentration camps. Uh, he was in Nazi concentration camps right at the, uh, in the midst of the end of World War II. And he noted something. He saw something taking place within the prisoners there that some people had hope and some people didn't. Some people survived because they had something to hope for at the end of the war, something to keep them going. And some people simply had no trust, no belief that there was anything to hope for to come. He wrote this in his book called A Man's Search for Meaning. The prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future, was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. Usually this happened quite suddenly, in the form of a crisis, the symptoms of which were familiar to the experienced camp inmate. Usually it began with the prisoner refusing one morning to get dressed and wash or go out on the parade grounds. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect. He just lay there, hardly moving. If this crisis was brought about by an illness, he refused to be taken to the sick bay, or to do anything to help himself. He simply gave up. And this is the place where Israel find themselves as we jump into the book of Isaiah this morning. A little bit of context for, for those of you who haven't been digging in and doing as much reading as I've been doing over the last couple of weeks. So Israel, in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, Israel is being spoken to by the prophet who's been commissioned by God to give them a warning, to tell them that their behavior is not up to standard, that he is actually going to punish them and send them out into exile. They were doing horrendous things. There was, there was a king, Ahaz, who was reigned during this time, and he started worshiping foreign gods, and, and he was one of the kings who actually sacrificed children to these false gods. So God, enraged by his people's behavior, said, to Isaiah, tell Israel that I'm going to punish them. I'm going to send them into exile. But we meet Israel here in chapter 40 after the prophecy. So the end of chapter 39, we've got Isaiah speaking to the people, telling King Nebuchadnezzar that Israel is going to be exiled into Babylon. Babylon is going to be this nation that rises up, destroys Jerusalem, and takes these people into exile. Because of this, the generation that was taken out first place, 
everyone had died. So the, the people that we are left with here, the people that Isaiah is speaking to, 150 years after this first prophecy came, were the children. These, people, these children were born into slavery. They were born as servants, and they knew nothing else. They heard from their parents growing up that they had this mighty God and that he was going to redeem them. But all their parents had passed away, and the children were left, and the children didn't really believe. They were starting to doubt. They were starting to question some of the things that their parents had told them about their God. So here we go in, in verse 27, when we jump in, and we see, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Here we see God being the person through the prophet Isaiah. He's the one who's drawing out these questions from the Israelites. The Israelites are asking themselves, why aren't we free? If, if we are this chosen people, if, if you are this mighty God, then why are we still here? Why are our parents dead and why are we still in captivity? They're asking, why has he forgotten us? What is it that we're, we're doing? Why, haven't, why hasn't he come through for us? And maybe you know what? Babylon seems to be doing okay. Babylon have this might and this power that is so incredible, this nation that is growing and growing in strength. Maybe God isn't actually that powerful after all. We see day in, day out, the Babylonians sacrificing to, to foreign gods, and, and here they are, they're the ones in power, and we're the ones down here, left. And interesting, the thing I love about this in verse 27, it's God who is asking the question. He notices what's going on in Israel's heart, and he speaks directly to it. He asks them the questions. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? He sees what's going on within them. God meets them head on, and he's the person who draws out the things that are within their heart. Obviously, we are in the, the Christmas period, and um, most of you have been around friends and family, I assume. Uh, Tonya and I, my wife and I, we're in Nottingham, that's where we're both from, and we just got back last night. But we spent probably like nine days with family. And if your family is like anything like mine, um, there is a traditional British response to everything. No matter what the year has been like for anyone, <laughs> what is the answer? The answer, yeah, I'm fine. You know, people could have lost their job. They're going through difficult situations with their family. How's everything going? Yeah, great. Everything's fine. Thanks for asking. They just don't want to kill that Christmas vibe. We have this, this, this season of Christmas. It's like everything's meant to be great. It's meant to be peachy. We're meant to be in good spirits. And, and everyone is under this pressure not to be the person to kill the Christmas vibe. And that's exactly what my family is like. I went around to my dad's on Boxing Day, and my family, probably like yours, has got a heck of a lot of issues, and I didn't really want to be there, but, you know, it's Christmas, and, and you go, and, and I really want to try and be uh, with Tanya. She, can I just say, is, is a rock for me in these situations, because as I say, family can be so difficult. But I went around, and I hid behind my nephew for about four or five hours, <laughs> not feeling safe enough to really talk about the things. As Tim said, part of my other work that I do is I'm a counselor, I'm a psychotherapist, and it's my job to draw those questions out of people. But in that environment, I just didn't feel safe enough. I didn't feel safe enough to really talk about the things 
that I really wanted to, the things that actually mattered most to me. And I wonder for you, you've come back after Christmas and maybe you've still got some time off. I wonder as you look back and you reflect on the year gone by, maybe the, the family situation you find yourself in, I wonder what are the questions on your heart. You know, we, we don't want to kill the vibe, we don't want to kill the Christmas mood and the Christmas spirit, but deep down I know from my work that people really do want to be asked that question. They really do want to be stopped and be listened to. They want to be heard. They want to, they want to be understood and accepted in those moments. But we find that difficult, especially in this British culture we find ourselves in. But what are those questions on your heart? What are the, what are the things that maybe you're scared to even bring up to God? We see here that God comes to Israel. He points them out and he says, why are you complaining? What's going on? Why are you in this situation? Why are you feeling these ways? God isn't overwhelmed by the, the doubts and the fears that Israel is having. And he's not overwhelmed by the doubts and the questions and the fears that you may have of the year to come. He speaks tenderly to us in our fears. God responds by reminding his people who he is. In verse 28, it says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. An important thing for us to realize and recognize in this, though, is how is he saying it? We all understand the, the need for hearing a tone. So many times we've got in trouble, I've got in trouble, um, by misreading someone's text message. Sometimes at a silence, we think, oh my gosh, they hate me. What have I done wrong? You recount the last week. Okay, I definitely wasn't that. Oh, it could have been this. They hate me. And then you get a response and everything's okay again. Or if you're married, this might come to you. You know, you ask a question to your spouse and you just get the one word response, fine. Full stop. Is it fine? Is it really fine? Or is it not oh fine? Is, 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 is the, the word that comes back to you, is it, is it yes, it, um, keep me at my word, it is fine, it is, everything's okay? Or does it mean I hate you and I don't want to speak to you for the rest of the day? And the, the tone that we find God speaking to the Israelites here today, we can find in verses 1 and 2. The first word, so after this 150 years or so, that after the, the, the last thing that was prophesied in chapter 39, the first word that God speaks to his people through the prophet Isaiah is comfort. Comfort my people. They feel lost, abandoned. They, their parents are dead and all they have is this promise. All they have is these stories from the past. And the first word that God speaks to them is comfort. Speak tenderly. The, the word speak tenderly here means to speak to the heart. And that's exactly what we see him doing in verse 27, he draws out those questions from Israel's heart. This picture of a loving father speaking to his children is continued in verse 11. He says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. When we were back in Nottingham, uh, we stayed with Tanya's mother and she has a little house and her sister is staying there as well and and her son Jacob. Jacob is four 
years old. And he is cute. Like, you'd see him, you'd meet him, and you'd melt. He's got these big, beautiful eyes, and he's just the cutest little thing in the world. For about 15 minutes. <laughs> and then he starts to grate on you a little bit. I, I love this boy, I really do. But he kind of runs the show at home. He runs the show. He's in charge. If he stamps his foot, he, he, you know, sometimes we don't know really how to respond to that. And he goes into meltdown. If anyone tries to correct him, speak a word to him. Jacob, okay, you need to slow down there, bro, okay? Calm down. He does this thing where the bottom lip comes out. <laughs> and he literally bends down and lies on the floor. <laughs> He's the one who's been misbehaving. He's been the one who's been doing things that he hasn't been told to do and, being not, and taking extra chocolate buttons, my chocolate buttons, <laughs> when he was told he wasn't allowed. And he gets down, the bottom lip, com bottom lip comes out, and he lies down on the floor. And one of these times, I picked him up off the floor, and I can see he doesn't want to talk to me. And I got down on my knees, and I looked him dead in the eye as I held his face. I said, Jacob, I love you but you need to do what you're told. When mommy asks you to do something, you need to do it. She loves you more than anyone else in the world, and you need to remember that. And he looked at me. I was like, is that okay? And he's like, okay, bottom up, still out. And uh, it, it just is that moment, and that is the picture that we have here, God speaking to his children. I think it's apt that my nephew's called Jacob, and that obviously in here we see Jacob being spoken to, Israel being spoken to. Here we've got Israel asking those questions within their hearts. Well, why should we trust you in the first place? Look at the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And God responds to them in verse 28. Let's read it again. He says, with this, this, this tone of comfort, this tone of love. He, he holds Israel's face and he looks him in the eye and he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's like, don't you remember me? These stories you've heard from your parents aren't just stories. I'm real. I'm here. I hear you. I love you. He speaks to them as a loving father. He says, I'm the, the creator. Before Babylon was around, I created Babylon. You, you see them as this massive power. You're intimidated by them. I created Babylon. After they are gone, I will still be here. In verse 15, it says that the nations are a drop in a bucket. Israel was in massively intimidated. They've seen Assyria come and be this huge world power. Now they have the Babylonians coming, and there's the rumblings of the Persian Empire stirring up. And God says, those nations are a drop in a bucket. He says, I never tire. We as people, we spend a third of our life sleeping, and God never rests, never slumbers. He is always awake and always cares for us. He talks about his wisdom, his understanding that no one can fathom. And we only, we only get to grasp what he allows us to grasp. Before um, Tonya and I got married a few years ago, there was a period, probably, probably 10 years ago, it's a heck of a saga. If you ever want to hear the story, 
I mean, no, it's too long. It's, it's not worth telling. But 10 years ago, it came to the point in our relationship where it was super unhealthy. It was just, it was time to say goodbye. And um, however much I understood how unhealthy it was and, and how it needed to end, my world came crashing down. I did what every heartbroken person should do, you know, get up and leave the country. Uh, so I, I went to the States. <laughs> I went to the States for five years and I studied there and I did everything within my power to be happy and to, to try and make my own way there. And if you'd have looked at my Instagram during that period, I was killing it. You know, I was there's trips to the beach, New York. I was in Philadelphia, New York's an hour and a half away on the train, the Big Apple, you know, it's amazing. But what you wouldn't have seen is me on my rocking chair in my bedroom crying my eyes out. I was a mess. I was heartbroken. And I don't know if I would have said the words, but I didn't believe there was really any hope. I didn't really believe that I was ever going to find something or someone that was going to going to make me feel better. And I, I remember crying out to God on my rocking chair. And the response came, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. God draws out the questions in our hearts. He reminds us of who he is. And he says to us, I know what I'm doing. Whatever the circumstances you find yourself in, maybe 2018 has been an absolute shocker. You are ready for the next couple of days to go quickly so we can start a new year, we can start afresh. But God says, I know what I'm doing. I've, I've been doing this for a while. You can, you can count on me, you can trust me. He draws out those questions from Israel. He reminds them of who he is. And by all rights, he could leave them there. These are the things that you're worried about. I'm God. He could leave it there. But as we see, as we carry on, he doesn't leave us there. He offers hope. He speaks hope to his people. Israel were in this desperate situation. In verse 29, God speaks directly into their distress. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God is saying here, this is the kind of God that I am. This is the kind of people you are. You're weak and you're weary and you're tired. And the words here um, for, for weak and weary, one of them speaks of like physical exertion, but the other one speaks of being tired of life. I know that we can all get pretty tired of life sometimes. Then straight away in verse 30, he reiterates Israel's need for and dependence on him. He says, even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. And the language here used is, is literally this term, picked men. It's this idea of the elite. If you think of um, the Olympic process, the people, they come to these competitions, and they try, and they compete against each other so that they will prove to be the strongest, and that they will go and represent their nation. And he says, even the picked men, even the elite they grow tired and weary. I read a, an article the other day um, about uh, a woman called Camille Heron. She is a long-distance runner in the States. And first of all, a few weeks ago, she took part in a 24-hour marathon. Yeah, let me say that again. She took part in a 24-hour marathon. 
For me, the only 24 marathon I'm doing is Netflix, and that's even a push. <laughs> In 24 hours, she ran 162.9 miles. 162.9 miles, and she did the first 100 in 13 hours and 25 minutes. If you watch the the video, which I really encourage you to do,、um, you see as the bell rings to to signal the end of this 24-hour endurance race. Her husband, who's also her coach, runs and puts the chair underneath her legs, and she collapses into this chair, and he just holds her. Even this world-class athlete. Gets tired and weary, and God was speaking to Israel here, and He's saying, "All these mighty nations you see around them, they cannot save themselves." When I say, and 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 as you read back through the the chapter, God compares Himself to these nations, and He and He speaks of His might, and He speaks of the the fact that these mighty nations that Israel is so intimidated by, they are merely grass and flowers. And they will wither, and God will remain, and they will be no more. I've got good news for anyone here this morning who's tired. This is not a pray more, try harder, be better message. This is a message of grace. This is a message of love and of hope. God speaks hope to Israel, and He speaks hope to us into our situation this morning. In exchange for our weakness, God says that He is going to renew our strength. In verse thirty-one, it says, "Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint." And the word that is used here, God was calling Israel to hope. In one translation, it says, "Wait on Him." This this hope is this this idea. It's not like a passive thing where you just sit back and oh I hope it happens.、Mm, I hope I get a job, but I'm not going to apply apply for any. No, it's a it's a this I am going to do it, and a job is going to come to me. It it also can be translated this wait, and there's this picture of like a lover waiting by the phone. I don't know if you've 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 ever been told that someone's going to call you. And you get those butterflies in your stomach, and you you're just hungry for that person to call. So you sit. That was definitely me. I was I was that guy who was like smitten. I was Tony was still in the, in England. I was in the states still, and I she if we organised a time for us to speak, I would be sat there. Got my laptop, my iPad, my iPhone. Whichever one rings first, I'm picking up. <laughs> There's this expectation and this eager waiting to renew their strength. But Israel found themselves in this place where they are exhausted. They're running out of hope. They're running out of trust in this God that their fathers and forefathers before them knew. But were trying to figure it out for themselves. And God says, "Wait on me. Hope in me again." But what guarantee did they have, and what guarantee do we have this morning that God's actually going to say? God's actually going to do what He says He's going to do. I lo- I love this chapter, you know. Honestly, it is so beautiful. And in verse three to five, we see, as Tim read at the beginning, a voice of one calling: "In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord; make straight in the desert a highway for our God." 
Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when Israel heard this, they were thinking more of a literal thing. Jerusalem had been destroyed, and God was saying, I'm going to take you home. The valleys, I'm going to rise up. The mountains, I'm going to squash down, and I'm going to make this path straight for you. These nations that are intimidating you, these nations that seem to be arising up around you, I'm going to push them out of the way. I'm going to use them as my tools to help you back to the place that I want you to be. And of course, the guarantee also speaks of John the Baptist. If you know your Bible a little bit, or even over the Christmas period, you might have heard this in the beginning of Advent, that John the Baptist in Matthew quotes this. He is the one who's calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. And we see Jesus coming as that fulfillment of this prophecy. We see Jesus coming as the guarantee. He paid the price for us. He was the one who did away with our sin and removed the penalty. He offers us hope as Israel was offered hope by God in the light of Jesus' sacrifice. In, in the first couple of verses, God says, your sin has been removed. And God speaks to us this morning through Jesus' blood and he says, your sin has been removed. The Apostle Paul sums this up so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 4. He speaks of this treasure, this hope that we have in jars of clay. He uses this picture language of this fragile thing, but we have this treasure within this fragile thing. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, those questions, not understanding what's going on, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but never destroyed. And why do we have this confidence? Why do we carry this in this, this jar of clay? Because we have this hope, we have this treasure that Jesus guarantees for us. We renew our strength when we trust in God alone. When we recognize that we, in our own strength, have no power, no ability to do anything for ourselves. This morning we're invited, as the Israelites were invited, to bring our questions before the Lord. Questions that will lead us into this next year. What will it look like? What do you have in store for me, for better or for worse? What are the things of the past year that have gone that you still don't have those answers to? You don't understand. He invites us to bring our questions to him. He draws them out of us. He encourages us to acknowledge our weakness and our inability to save ourselves and to honor and submit in the not knowing. Honor and submit to his sovereignty, his, his sovereignty, his, his power, his might, to remember that he's been doing this for a while. And he will continue to do it for our good because he loves us. Because he is this father who holds us by the face. And he says, don't you remember? Don't you remember how much I love you? Don't you remember 
what I've done for you. Trust in me again. Hope that there is something better to come. And this morning, as we close, I want us to to remember the hope that we have in Jesus. Whatever the year has looked like and whatever the next one has to come, whether we face being crushed, sorry, whether we're hard-pressed but not crushed, whether we are perplexed and these questions continue into our next year, we're not in despair because we have this hope within us. Can I invite everyone to stand? As the band joins us, I'm going to ask us to, to, to have a response within our hearts. The response here is what are those questions that lie within your heart? Potentially questions that you've been scared to ask, that you think is showing a lack of faith to, to doubt God or to, to be angry, to be frustrated with him. What are those questions that you have? This morning, as Israel was invited by God to share their fears, we're invited to do exactly the same thing, to hope again. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship again. Father, I thank you so much for your word, your word of hope, your word of restoration. I pray in the name of Jesus that as we worship, as we confess our sin to you, as we recognize our weakness and our inability to do things on our own, I pray that your sovereign will would be in the forefront of our mind, that we would trust you again, that we would carry in our earthly vessels, we would carry in our jars of clay this hope, this treasure, that we will see you face to face. In the name of Jesus. Amen.